0: to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Asgardio by WSO2 is a developer-focused identity and access management solution. Offered as Identity as a Service, or IDaaS, Asgardio by WSO2 creates seamless login experiences to your apps in minutes.
1: Hello everyone. This is Sean Martin, and you're very welcome to a new redefining cybersecurity podcast here on ITSP Magazine. And uh, as many know, uh, this show is all about operationalizing security, actually getting getting beneath the uh, the marketing spin and uh, the MTTX uh, measurements, and figuring out what what it is we're really trying to do with security in business. And uh, today, I'm thrilled to have Javad Malik on. Uh, Javad, how are you?
2: I'm very good. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me.
1: Good to see you again. And uh, I'm blessed and honored to have uh, my co-founder, Marco, join me for this episode. Marco?
3: Well, I'm happy to be here. I mean, as soon as you told me, hey, Javad is on, I'm like, all right, that sounds like a a good time. So not only to educate our audience, but to, to get to say hello. And that's been a long time. So
2: hi, Javad. Hi Marco, it has been a long time. So, right, thank you both for taking time out to to have a chat with me. Of course.
1: I, I hate to even think back that it was uh, probably three summers ago in, in Europe. Something I, like that. I yeah, know, I know. It's it's a uh, it's sad. Hopefully, someday soon, we'll uh, we'll get to connect in person again. Perhaps InfoSec Europe uh, this coming year, twenty twenty three, could be the yeah. magic moment. We'll see.
3: Yeah, that'll be so, fine.
1: In the meantime, uh, security doesn't pause uh, while we figure out our travel plans, <laughs> right? Teams teams are still working, hopefully, and uh, certainly the cyber criminals are, and uh, businesses still trying to run and protect the revenue that they generate. And uh, we're going to talk about that in the context of culture and awareness and training and really bringing the human element. I often joke that there's a tech stack and a an human stack. Marco laughs at that. Uh, So operationalizing the human stack (laughs) in uh, the business of security and Javad. So before we get into uh, the nuts and bolts there, uh, for those who may not know you, I mean, you're, you're very well known in the industry, uh, but for new listeners uh, joining us, a few words about uh, who you are, what you're up to and, and uh, we'll go from there.
2: Yeah. So, you know, I, I, like most people, I, I, I find really awkward introducing myself, but I also get quite quite surprised when I introduce myself and I think, wow, I've been working in the industry my entire career. It's like been 23 years. Uh, my hair's gone, it started off black and now it's all half grey, more than half grey. So yeah, I, I worked in where well, it was IT security. I, I, so I worked as a practitioner. I worked as a consultant. I worked as an industry analyst um so i i've seen i like to say i think I've, I've seen several sides of the industry uh nowadays i work uh, on the vendor on, on the vendor side of the world i, I worked for no before where i'm just like a security awareness advocate but but yeah so um yeah i, I i've uh I, I like to say that i'm i i was hands-on and technically enough at one point to be dangerous and now i just rely on old war stories a lot in that regard but uh the, the consulting and speak Being an analyst was great. Being an industry analyst, I worked at 451 Research and that was like probably one of my favorite jobs intellectually because I spent all day just speaking to people far, far smarter than me. So company founders and investors and all that kind of jazz. So i got a really good appreciation of how the industry works. So anyway, I've been around for a long time and I like to blog and make videos and all that kind of stuff and be on social media when I'm not working.
1: And, and do fun videos and stuff. Now, it, it it's the one role that I haven't held, perhaps, uh, the analyst role that I'm always intrigued by. And I feel I, I do some analyst-type work. Um, but the reason I'm starting with that is I, I want to I pick a little bit on that uh, to get your, your first perspective on kind of where things sit with respect to the culture of security within an organization. Uh, To your point, you spoke to a lot of uh, executives and leaders and investors and, and uh, vendors, and I'm sure the whole mix. Um, How have things progressed over the years? I know awareness in general is up, um, but are we doing what we need to with respect to awareness over the years?
2: Oh, this is the, uh, this is the million dollar question, isn't it? So on many fronts, we are way ahead of where we were like 10, 15 years ago. Companies are no longer doing that. Most companies are not doing, should I say, that once a year, get everyone in a room, feed them coffee and donuts and force feed them like this is what the policy is and basically read through the whole policy and then expect them to go out and be security experts. So we've moved away from that. And the, the, investment into that awareness side from vcs and then you've got tons of startups in this space as well everyone trying to tackle it from a from a different angle some people use simulated phishing, others people try to get more behavioral analytics out of your existing systems others have like some really funny or engaging videos and so so there's lots of different types of content out there and they all have their place i think what has driven this like most things in security the initial push has been through a, a compliance angle so let's get an lms in place a learning management system so that we can give someone some content give them some questions at the end of it and therefore the regulator will be happy that we've ticked that box like everyone's a security expert now so i think that's kind of like where the industry came to which is still a like i said a far better place than what we were like 10 15 years ago. But then, broadly speaking, it kind of I wouldn't say stagnated, but it, I think there's a few missteps that have been made along the way, and a lot of that has been really how security teams have treated their colleagues within the organization, so forcing them to go through these modules, even if they're 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 hundred percent you know accurate and uh, you know they they're 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 correct. They, they might not be relevant or they might not be timely or these things interrupt people's workflow. So what we see is this kind of like, you know, subtle pushback or in some cases, very vocal pushbacks. So we, we've all seen those headlines where a company has made massive layoffs and then they get a phishing email, simulated phishing email from their IT team saying, hey, you've just been given a bonus. And then they click on it and they say, haha, suckers, uh, take this training. So in that regard, I think we're, we're taking some steps backwards. Just because we have these tools at our disposal doesn't mean we need to use them in this manner. And I think that's where um, you know, the industry needs to sort of like shift some of its uh, attention.
3: So um, I, I want to get philosophical right away because I know you, you, you're kind of already going there, right? So thank you, dog, for this. Uh, they have thoughts. Yeah, she she doesn't agree with me. Uh so sometimes I think people still think that cybersecurity is a product, and I think it's a culture that use certain product to change that culture, that behavior, that mindset. At least this is what I'm figuring out in all this conversation that we're doing. And you're kind of going there, like so am I correct in thinking that way? Do should we stop thinking of Cybersecurity as a product that is going to resolve your problem?
2: Yeah, I I, I, I totally agree with that. I, I think if we think of it as a product, that's like thinking. It's like January's around the corner. It's like everyone taking out a gym membership in January, thinking <laughs> that's what's going to get me fit. You know, the gym is not going to get you fit. It's your mindset. It's how you approach life. It's how you approach your diet you know, really, if you want to get fit, all you need is a skipping rope. All you need is a pair of trainers and go for a run every morning. Uh, that's all you need. So you don't need a state-of-the-art gym. You don't need to buy, like, one of those home racks and everything. And, and I've gone through all of that in, in, in my life. I thought, <laughs> maybe if I buy this this kit, maybe if I get this, then I'll have my six-pack abs. And it's not. It's, it, it's really a mindset change. And you don't even need to go militant. I'm not saying, like, start measuring your food and you know, everything. You just need to just make a few sensible choices, cut out the soda, cut out the processed food and, you know, the weight will come off and what have you. Anyway, that I've stretched that analogy probably a bit too far, but I think security is the same way. We, we need to think of it as as a mindset and as something that we embed within it and not rely on a product or a certain control alone because we, we've seen examples like perfect design, MFA is a brilliant control it's probably one of the best technical controls we can offer that is visible to an end user uh, it, it can protect their account but we've seen like with MFA fatigue attacks even they are can be compromised because the user's getting all these prompts and they get fed up and then someone calls them up and say hello I'm from your IT team and there's a problem with authentication just click approve and those problems will go away and they're like thank you okay my problems are now solved." and you know, that's really where the problems are all beginning. So, uh, you know, just relying on a certain product or a tool or a, if I buy this thing, whether it be, you know, consultancy from a, from a big four or something, that's not going to solve your problems. It's, the change has to come from within.
1: So I'm, I'm going to stick with the, and, and I don't know if it needs to be the gym, but I'll, I'll take any hobby. Because I have many hobbies and uh, the the uh, the receipts to prove that I have them. Because um, when I get interested in something, I want to be in it. So if I'm if I'm gonna play some tennis, I'm gonna get a nice racket and and some good balls and the right gear and good shoes and maybe a nice bag to haul all that stuff with. That that I feel like I'm ready to do with that. That hobby, that that that, sport, and
3: then you that, miss the ball,
1: and then I miss the ball, and I look stupid anyway. <laughs> but my Mike, so is Mike, still on this kind of the philosophical. I know we wanted to talk about, um, I think you call it the branding of the security team. But I'm just wondering, just the the, it is the mindset, and you talk about, you talked about uh, measuring the calories and things like that. I'm just I'm just wondering, uh, keeping with that analogy, how how do we as a security team actually feel good about what we're doing I think there is a place for technologies and tools to help us feel good and and to demonstrate that we we can do things um, not superfluously I mean I don't want to waste money but if I feel good about doing what I'm doing maybe I will actually hit the ball sometime right so I don't know your thoughts on on that yeah
2: so so this this um if if we stay on the philosophical angle theres there's this A misconception most people have is that when I'm motivated to do something I will do something so if I wait to be motivated to hit the gym then I'll have a good workout whereas really what studies have shown in behavioral psychology is that if you identify as a healthy person as a fit person you will then go and do the actions that will lead you to becoming a healthy person So I think that that validation or that self-image needs to be corrected first, and that will make you feel good, or that will give you the motivation. Feeling good won't give you the motivation to to go ahead and do it. So I I think that there's there's something to your point. I'm not trying to completely dismiss it, but I think really it it needs to be in turn, like we need to think about what is our mission here. And, And like most jobs, the mission isn't to feel good, it's to be efficient in our jobs. Now, maybe the question is, how do we measure if we're good at our jobs? And that's 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 a very valid thing, because I think security is quite difficult to measure um, consistently across all the different dimensions of security. But um, but but really, I think it, it comes down to that that self-image. Are we reducing risk? I mean, ultimately, that's what we're trying to do. Um, OK, how do I go about I, we are the department that is going to help reduce cyber risk? OK and then take it from there and then invest or, or take those steps that, that fulfill that mission.
3: So, I mean, obviously we, we make fun of things because of course you need the tool, you know, you need the motivation and you need the knowledge and you need the tools. Because I think that if someone is actually using it, the tool, even the psychological one correctly uh, for bad reason is the cyber criminals. I mean, let's face it. I mean, there's still a step ahead. And I think they understood they're using technology, strictly technology. It's not going to get them anywhere. So it's, it's more a, a human weakness that we're looking at here. So I know you've been doing some research in, you know, what, what are the latest uh, funny or scary, whatever you want to go with that, um, techniques that we're, we're facing now. And maybe what is much different from what it was uh, a few years ago
2: yeah so there are so so just if i just rewind slightly just on the psychology point uh, just for the last thing and uh you know with 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 our internally like um the fear of the 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 the, uh, the negative outweighs the fear of the, the 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 positive or or the or the reward of the positive so um basically like the football's on at the moment the world cup You might be watching it or soccer, as some of you might refer to it. Um, If if you have a penalty, uh, if you're taking a penalty, statistically, you have more chance of scoring if you go straight down the middle. Because the goalkeeper before you shoot has made up their mind whether they're going to dive to the left or the right, the high or the low. So statistically, most of them will dive to one of the sides as opposed to staying in the middle. So you've got more chance of shooting straight down the middle and scoring. But very few players will take that shot down the middle because if they shoot down the middle and the goalkeeper saves it, the striker looks stupid. They look like, why did this idiot just shoot straight down the middle? But if they shoot to the corner and the goalkeeper saves it, everyone will say, well, the goalkeeper was very good. <laughs> and this is, I think, the, the, cha- the one of the fundamental problems we see a lot of security teams and CISOs have is like, they might say for a long time, but for the longest time before EDR came out, it was like antivirus is useless. Okay. We agree. Remove it from your estate. Well, <laughs> if we get, if we get popped.
0: you need the goalie.
2: <laughs> yeah. If we get popped and someone says they didn't even have antivirus, then I look stupid. Wow. That's,
3: that's a really good, uh, really good metaphor. I love it. Given I'm not following because uh, with two years of not qualifying in Italy, I, I refuse to watch it, but that's a different story. <laughs> no, I love that. So th- th- with that in mind, are we giving an advantage to to the opposite team yeah,
2: by having are.
3: to play by the rules of looking like we're doing the right thing, we're checking the box, but yeah, no, we aren't really doing the right thing.
1: Yeah, and then i we, guess the, the question is are there cyber criminals that they know shooting down the middle so they I don't, don't care. Think they look bad
2: <laughs> yeah no they they know exactly what to do exactly so so they will be very more likely to play the game far more and uh, you know we see this happening in all sorts of industries so so the other example i love is that of coca cola for the last 100 years they've been the dominant soft drink you know seller in the world apart from a few geographies no one's really taken significant market share from them and why is that because everyone that goes to compete with coke they try to follow the coke formula let's make a cola let's sell it let's try to make it a bit sweeter let's try to sell it a bit cheaper let's try to sell it in a bigger bottle these are the things they go for and there's nothing wrong with that but all of them have failed in that approach they haven't really made much headway The, the the one soft drink manufacturer that has taken the most market share from Coke in the last 50 years it comes in a tiny can it tastes absolutely vile and it's far more expensive which is Red bull So you know it again I think if if, you, if you're always following the same pattern then Coke is going to be like okay here comes another competitor try and do what we do okay let's spend another five billion this year on advertising and drown them out but when something very different came along, um, you know, it caught them off guard, and there's lots of like marketing techniques they use to to maximize that. But I think the same thing happens in security. We we just go for the same formula time and time again. If you can get any CISO and say, okay, how do you build a security team? They'll probably start with the same base layer. Okay, let's have some perimeter control, some endpoints, some uh, some uh, dynamic or, or static like code testing. Let's have a SOC built with this many people in place. Let's do log management. Let's let's have these the sort. Of, and all of that is right. That's perfect. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm not saying these aren't tried and tested methods, but I'm saying if this is all you're relying on, the best practices, quote unquote, then you know you you, you might be missing some techniques and tactics that could make you really uh, an unattractive target to criminals or increase the difficulty for criminals trying to get in and 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 compromise you and 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 that's really what we're doing. I mean, how do we reduce the risk? It's like by making it more difficult for active criminals to, to actually break in. If, if we can force them to be more noisy in our network, if we can force them to like, okay, an email alone won't work. I have to now phone someone else, or maybe I have to physically turn up to their building. It increases their risk. And they're gonna be like, you know, screw that man. I'm gonna just go go, go hack someone else because they're a lot easier.
1: Yeah, And I know you, you started to give uh a few examples there. I want to bring it to to reality and I don't know if we want to dig into ransomware and 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 some of those uh, attributes or methods perhaps that that are used for that because what I maybe mean, we can talk analogies and and use fabulous stories like we have um, but at the end of the day, right, we're we're saddled with a bunch of technologies we deployed to generate business and generate revenue and those are enabled by systems and, and uh, fueled by data. And then we're responsible for the controls, um, physical, digital, and human, and otherwise, uh, to ensure that whatever revenues pre- generated is protected. So how, just maybe using ransomware, if you have other ideas, how, how do we avoid the, the shoot down the middle <laughs> scenarios? Um, how do we look good? Um, by also doing good and not just looking good for the sake of looking good? What, what are some ideas there?
2: So I, so because the, the analyst sort of like that still lives within deep within somewhere. I, I think data is our friend if we know how to read it and interpret it. So there's, there's two primary sources of data. We, we look at the external data that, you know, peers give or surveys or, other organizations provide. So, okay, how's ransomware getting into our organizations? That's that's one avenue. Uh, and the second, massive underutilized source data is our internal um, incident logs. Basically, you know, what's our top causes of incidents over the last couple of years? Go through that. It's not easy. It's not anything at all can give you. You need to sit down and go through those incident reports and read them and say, okay, what was the root cause? How did they get in? How did they get in? And Internally, uh, you know that's something for every every CISO to do internally themselves. But when you look at all the external reports, the top three attack vectors are phishing or spear phishing, more specifically, uh, um, exploiting unpatched vulnerabilities on public systems, and the third is um, going after weak credentials or like things like, expose RDP with a weak password or or, or what have you. So these, and, and do you three, know
1: does it does it matter whether it's on premises or in the cloud?
2: It doesn't really make that much of a difference. No, no, it's like these these still remain that you know. The, I mean, the patching sort of like goes down a bit in the cloud, especially if you've if your cloud providers updating that for you or whatever you, But your your social engineering and your credential protection really remains the, the same level of risk. So, I'd say. If you can start with these, and these aren't sexy, but I'd say like this is, and you and you see once you see this, you will start seeing every every breach reported in and in this light, you'll say, it's right, it's like 60, 80, 90% of all breaches, they they fall into one of these three broad categories. What really advances in terms of like even when you look at states, state sponsored attackers or what have you, is not really the initial attack vector, it's really how they then disguise their movements once they're in your system that's where the sophistication really goes so if we can block off or make it really difficult for these criminals to initially infect your organization i think that is that is like critical so you know and and again all of these there's no one way you you, you just clear it off it's not like oh let's let's train our users and spear phishing will go away no invest in your Gate, mail gateway, invest in some, um, you know, detection controls on your end point, some behaviorals, heuristics, whatever, you know, have an EDR there. So that even if someone does click on something, it can block it, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, but focus on these. And I think that will be really, really good in driving your, your product selection strategy. And you will have a defined outcome associated with, you know, your, your choice. And and one thing, uh, Wendy Laser Used to say to me, she was my boss when I was at 451 research. She was like, I was like, when, uh, this is when I was new, and I was like, Wendy, I don't know what to write in this report. I think this, I think that, but you know, how do you know when you're right? And she was like, you know, no one really knows in this field what's right or wrong. She goes, but just write whatever you want as long as it is defensible. And I I for the longest time I had it on a post-it note on my on my desk. I was like, is it defensible? question mark. And so I, I I say that ask that off off a lot of like CISO friends and what a few I said like okay you're, you're doing this. What's the rationale? Is it defensible? Uh, and so I think if you take a data driven approach like like this, and you say okay these are the top attack vectors, this is how they get in with ransomware. Okay, let's let's implement some controls, some layers to to lessen that risk. Okay, that's good. Then what do they do once they're in the organization? And we know for a lot of these um these these gans, they they spend longer and longer within the 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 network trying to find out what's what's the juicy data, exfiltrating some data, what have you. Okay, so that means I need to look at this technology or this technology. You know, may, maybe I need, I don't need a sim, maybe I just need to deploy some some better honey pots because that would be really effective, like fewer alerts, but high quality alerts, maybe that's what I need as opposed to more alerts. Maybe that's not the answer. Uh, maybe I need some exfiltration, like DLP type, type scenario in there and what have you. Um, and then the final stage is all your um, your your recovery. So if you are, are popped, like, you know, what is your technical recovery controls? What's your uh, comms plan? And all that kind of good stuff. So, so we're still working within the layers, but now we're using the data to justify each one of our expenses and we we tie it down to a specific outcome that we're looking for. That way, even if like you are one of those CEOs that's only there for eighteen months and then you're moved on, you're the next person that comes in, they can actually take a look at the strategy and they can say, well, okay, I understand why those decisions were made. It's not a political decision; it's based on data, and I think that's the way that we we make forward and we pass on the baton in a in a respectful manner to our peers.
1: I'm still going to scrap the program and start over.
2: Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs>
3: So I think we, we're kind of going in full circle here. We started with like, you know, we, we can buy the better. It's a product. We buy the best product, like Sean, you know, buying a less Lesbo guitar to, to play
1: it really good. To practice once a year, yes. <laughs>
3: what now, now I'm getting to the point that, you know, the training, the practice. I mean, we, we again, we're making fun of things here, but we need both. So how is the training, on your opinion, being evolving? And is it getting better? Is it getting more effective? In light of maybe better tools, um, when you need to use both,
2: right? So yeah, so so training overall is a lot lot better than where it was. the 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 volume and the variety of material out there to help teach people is immense. And forget about paid stuff; you you can go on YouTube or TikTok, and there's so much free content out there. So it's not a lack of uh, lack of information. I mean. As an industry, one of the problems we've had is we focus a lot on training and not enough on awareness. And that was compliance driven. Yeah, get it. But we need to move away from this, like you should do this, that, yes and no's, because that will only get people thinking in a specific, okay, if this happens, then do this. Uh, Raising awareness or thinking more like a marketer will help people build a framework in their mind as to what to do. And, And that's really important. And there's a lot of that type of good engaging content out there now as well, because it's a bit like teaching a kid how to cross the road. You don't take them to every single road and say, this is how you cross this road, this is how you cross this road. You just, whichever road you're at, you tell them, okay, we find the right place, stop, find the safe place, look, listen, when it's safe, then you cross. And if you build that framework of how to safely cross a road, they can then go to any road in the world, pretty much, and they will know how to safely cross it. Unless so we you go still... from the
1: from the states to uh, to London.
2: Yeah, yeah. And well, you know, have to look right. Well, we're, we're pretty helpful over here because on the floor I there's know. little arrows that say look left or look right. We look right. So um, you know, so that it anticipates that lots of foreigners are from Europe or the US they'll be there and it's, we're driving on the other side of the road, the correct side of the road might I add. And- uh, I heard that. And therefore you can, um, you, can uh, you know, you, and, and that's really, really, there's something really important about that as well, is that that is training as well. That's an awareness. You're telling someone to look right because that's where the traffic's coming from. And it's, and it's knowledge that's given to you at the time that you need it the most you're about to cross the road, that's the time when you tell someone to look in that direction. There's no point if you are on your flight over from New York to London, and midway through the the air air staff comes on and they say like, oh, by the way, they drive on the left-hand side of the road, so when you're crossing, look to the right. The information is correct. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just given at the completely wrong time. (laughs) It's of no use to you then in new york
1: you get the you get the honk and the fu yeah <laughs> you know, okay. about Good. <laughs>
3: stay right there because for me the best lesson and that's when you become a war awareness and and culture like it becomes part of who you are and how you act is for example even if you're on a one-way road i would suggest to look on both sides because there's going to be that idiot that is not respecting the the thing, maybe it's, a, maybe it's somebody on a bike, maybe anything else. And maybe it's somebody that is not from that country is the first time you get the car and he's on the wrong side yeah. <laughs> of the road. So, my, my point is understanding exactly why you do it and not because you've told you to do like that. You know, you know that the danger can come from both sides. And New York is a good example. I think I'll, I'll look two, three times both sides before I cross the street there. Mm-hmm. Or in Italy, if you want to yeah. tell me that.
2: <laughs> no, absolutely. You're, you're right. And and this, this goes back to that building that framework of thinking within people's minds, isn't it? We want to say, okay, these are some of the risks. This is the proper way, but then there are idiots on the road, and you need to look out for them. And, and this is why, if you can build that, so if there's there's no point in just teaching people this is how you spot a phishing email because Mm. now phishing comes in how it comes in on, on your text messages it comes in on social media on twitter dms on instagram on discord channels everywhere you look it's a channel any any connection point is a channel it comes on whatsapp messages so so there's no way you can train everyone on like every single channel out there but you say, okay, here's some of the red flags. Here's how they will approach you. Here's some of the things to look out for. And if you're careful, then you won't fall victim to it. And, and I think that's the direction we need to go in more.
1: And does the tone matter? I know early on you gave the example of, of uh, people being laid off and, and then the phishing email comes with, by the way, you got a bonus uh, because we have all this money now. Uh, ha ha thanks for clicking this link um how, what what are your thoughts on kind of tricking and teasing and i gave the example of the, the horn and the honking uh which yeah. can be very aggressive as an alert um but then the, the the clip of the uh the food delivery guy on the bike uh the marco noted the bikes they're not honking they have their earbuds in listening to the to the uh soccer match football match and uh they're just going to swing by and they're they're there's handlebars that are going to clip you. That's your signal. <laughs> you're in the you're in the bike lane. So how do, how much does context and tone uh, matter? Not just the timing.
2: Oh, I, I think context and tone is like half the battle here. Um, if and and a lot of this, I think, comes back to really how the relationship of the security team is with the rest of the organization. So you know, and a good litmus test is just go into your, any department in your organization say, hey, buddy, how's it going? Do you know who the security team are? And maybe they'll have a nickname for you. Maybe they call you the Department of no, or something like that, or if they're being polite. Say, okay, are you aware of where the policy is? Are you aware there's a policy? Yeah, we know there's a security policy. Do you know how to find it? Not really. Um, it's somewhere on the internet. I'm going to have to search for it. Um, do you know how to report an issue? I've no idea. Maybe I raise an IT ticket. I don't know. You know, there's all these things. And, and like, you know, how do they perceive you? Do they really want you in that in that room? And there, there's a survey done by a by a hotel chain, uh, a customer satisfaction survey. And so it's rating of one to five between disappointed to extremely happy about how the room was, how the food was, how the you know, cleanliness was, all those kinds of things. And they found that the answers were heavily, heavily influenced by the check-in time and process. So, if they felt that they had a good check-in process, they scored everything else higher. And if they scored, as uh, if they scored lower on that, they had to wait a long time, or there's a mix-up, then they scored everything else lower. Mm-hmm. And and this is um, true when you look at security teams as well. Like, what is the first time one of someone in the in the organization interacts with the security team? It's either to bore them during induction week or it's to slap them on the wrist to say you've done something wrong, to deny their request in a project or to say, ha ha, we just caught you out. Look how clever we are and look how dumb you are. So a lot of it comes down to that relationship and how you've built it. And and I always say like before you send that first phishing email, let people know that you're going to do this and why you are going to do this. Because you, you have to understand how do people feel once they fall for a phishing email and it could be and the template here becomes irrelevant it could be a very benign sort of very simple thing but how do they feel how do you make them feel and if you make them feel like you've tricked them then they're going to be unhappy with you and whatever you say after that whatever training you provide they're not going to care because they're going to be pissed off at you Um, but if you if they feel like it was an education then they'll they'll
3: have a very different reaction how how do you feel about gamification like making it a game as you learn as you go and it's kind of fun maybe there is a score going on i mean i think we had some conversation the other day about you know the, the level of education you can achieve with video games and kids but i think it does work for adult too so any any point on that
2: yeah, gamification is fantastic. And uh, I, I know of several um, companies that used it even in phishing uh, sort of thing. So you know, October is traditionally known as Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So some some someone I spoke to, they said, okay, here's a completely voluntary opt into this game. And what they do is they'll send you phishing emails throughout the month and they progressively get harder and harder. Mm-hmm. And because people have opted in, they're just cool with it. It doesn't matter what the context is. And then at the end of the month, there's a score and whoever scored the most gets a prize or what have you. Um, there's another company I know of what they did is they, they pitted departments against each other and what they did. So say it was finance versus HR. They would say to finance, okay, here are three phishing templates. Which one do you vote that we send to HR? Oh, cool. I like it. And then they've done the same for HR to finance. Mm. So that way they're picking their weapon of choice. They're sending it. so And and then everyone's cool with it because it's not the bad security team trying to trick them. It's their colleagues tricking them as part of a game. So it's a bit like battleship. So then it becomes a lot more enjoyable.
3: And also allows you, in this case, to see things from the other perspective, like where you are kind of the attacker. And yeah. I feel like that's that's very, very important to kind of getting other the other team shoes so that's really cool
1: yeah i love this and it, I'm, I'm glad you went there because it's where i wanted to take us as as we kind of wrap it's a view for the future and and my thoughts were along this line that that um different departments uh probably have different views and different ways of thinking just like we look at engineers uh, developers versus qa even think differently um audit Look, things differently than compliance. Um, so my my question is the future of security training, security awareness, security culture. Um, where do you think it's going?
2: Yeah, so so I, I love the point you just made. I think you know everyone's guilty of this. Like you take a any problem to an engineer, they will reframe it as an engineering problem and give you an engineering solution. And this is what we do with security. We can take any risk cyber risk and we will reframe it in our own terms and then provide the solution like that and i think what we need to do is get more people involved in that process and i'm not saying we set up a program and take hours and hours of people's time a year or or what have you but really we, we just need to get people involved in the process of like you know sometimes phishing is like hey do you want to select the phishing template that we send out that's a good good way to, to get people involved. Or, or what, here are, here are some training modules, which ones should be good? Or, you know, this is the outcome we're trying to achieve. We want people to lock their workstations when they leave. Okay, now, what do we do? We think, okay, let's decrease the lockout time. So five minutes of inactivity, the, the screen automatically locks. Okay, no, maybe how about we ask them and say, well, what do you want? And they're like, you know what? I can never remember the, the functions. So, give me some three stickers I can put on my keyboard that reminds me that I just have to hit these keys when I walk off or set set me up a hot spot in the corner so I move my drag my mouse into. It. so oftentimes we we try to solutionize before we actually understand what's the root cause of of something happening. So I think that getting different people together is um is and getting their viewpoints is really the the key to to um, to making that because. You know, value itself is is a very ambiguous term. And I, I often say like, you know, sometimes there's this this, um, this this hero complex that we have in security that we have to go out and save everyone from themselves or save the organization without us. They they'd all go bankrupt. But you know, if, if you imagine a, you go to a restaurant and I tell you, it's a restaurant that there's a Michelin star chef in the kitchen and the food is just perfect. you turn up and the tables are dirty, there's flies and the place smells of sewage. You're not going to sit there. So by that term, the cleaner and the waiter are adding as much value to that business as that Michelin star chef is. And this is what I think we need to think about in security that our colleagues in any department, in sales, in marketing, in finance, in HR, they are adding just as much security to the organization as we are. And we need to recognize that and give them the right tools in a a way that is useful for them. And that's how we move the needle. Um, Everyone talks about zero trust. Uh, Let's start talking about zero friction. Let's talk about making their lives easier. So having the tools or the the knowledge or the learning in place that doesn't really impact their job, but helps them make better risk decisions.
1: Uh, Boy, I have like 10 more questions in my head and uh, it is my show, I could ask one more. We talked before we started about kind of changing the way business works. So rather than just plugging the holes, closing the gaps, do you find the work you're doing in awareness and training and culture building and defining that organizations are able to say, okay, we have a really bad process or some really faulty logic or this workflow just breaks down here all the time. So rather than, continuing to press on the human to say, no, you really shouldn't, no, you really shouldn't, that the company actually addresses the core issue uh, as a way to, to solve the problem.
2: Yeah, so so that happens sometimes. And and what it is is sometimes it's really difficult for even as individuals, forget about companies, but you know, as individuals, ego comes into it and it's really hard to admit when you're when you've made a mistake. And 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 changing it from that perspective. But what I find easier is, you just help them ask the right questions because we live in a world of assumptions. We we think, you know, how many times have we seen like, oh, companies they're patching is rubbish because they're lazy or because they don't have an asset inventory or because of this or you know, it's really easy to sit on the sidelines and make assumptions and therefore then leading to a faulty chain of logic that leads to oh. So now we need to do X if they just had five more analysts in their sock then they could have seen this or or what have you and and sometimes it's it's about understanding what the the pain point actually is that that helps so I mean I, I spoke to um, uh, I was I was reading I spoke to a customer of uh, they they had um, canary those uh, canary tools by thinkst I don't know they're, they're those little honeypot devices and he said that he he was a director of security at a company and he said he, he installed them and literally they, they only go off when someone is scanning or, or unauthorized or what have you and he said it completely shifted how he thought about log management and alerts and what have you he goes like I've got a sim on one hand that is generating me a thousand events a day whatever and he goes then I've got this little box that only tweets at me once a year but I run into this tweet and I that's all buried in the noise. So, you know, it, it's about, I think, what, what you said in the beginning, it's about what's the outcome we're trying to achieve? Are we trying to collect a million logs a day? Well, no, that's not our outcome. Our, our, our objective is like, how are we going to find bad behavior and how are we going to, you know, stop it? And, um, you know, the Eurostar, the, the, the train that connects the UK to the mainland of off, off Europe, and it goes, they, they, a few years ago, they spent about six billion pounds um to improve the efficiency of the train so and it cut the journey time between london and paris by 40 minutes so that's an awful lot of money to reduce the journey time from i think it was like two hours 40 to two hours or something they cut the journey time down,
1: and they they let less revenue on uh booze because it's one less drink yeah exactly
2: exactly (laughs) you see you see now the thing is like when you actually break it down, the journey time itself is the least painful part of, of, of your of your commute. Um, it's the um, what's more painful is getting to the airport or to the check in terminal, going through security, um, you know, getting searched, waiting to board, finding your seat. You know, if you want to improve the experience, improve those parts first. Don't spend six billion on shaving a few minutes off the journey time, which once you're sat there, it doesn't really make that much of a difference. In fact, if you wanted to spend that 6 billion better, um, you could have offered free boots to everyone served by a, a top-class model. And in a year, you'd still know where, you know, in 10 years, you'd probably, that like five years out, that money would last you. And people would actually ask for the trains to be slowed down as opposed to sped up, I suppose.
1: Sorry, Javad, I already have a job. I can't be uh, serving boots. <laughs> The <laughs> <Eurostar>. <laughs> uh, well, I could, I could chat with you for hours. It, it's been way too long since we, uh, we had a chance to, to uh, talk and catch up and I love the work you do. And uh, yeah. in every facet uh, of your, of your role in the community and, and uh, yeah. Appreciate you sharing, sharing your thoughts with us and, and helping those listening operationalize uh, security culture in the business it's an important element and uh i'm thrilled marco was on to uh to bring it philosophical as well
3: oh yeah no, i had a good time and i <laughs> always this was more about the humans yeah, then human uh, and you know i i'm a big <laughs> fan of uh infosec and cybersecurity security is about the humans so it is you got me on that we, one
1: we touched all humans in this one the practitioners yeah. and uh and the employees
3: Yeah, and of course, great to see you, Javad, Um, at least virtually. And uh, hopefully next time we'll be in person.
2: Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: And uh, for those listening, appreciate you joining us. And uh, we'll ask Javad to share any links to articles, research, um, blogs he's written, books he's published, whatever helps uh, you get your head wrapped around this conversation and then take some next steps to uh, operationalize cybersecurity. And uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, stay tuned for more Redefining Cybersecurity here on ics 4
0: Pentera, the leader in automation security validation, allows organizations to continuously test the integrity of all cybersecurity layers by emulating real-world attacks at scale to pinpoint the exploitable vulnerabilities and prioritize remediation towards business impact. Learn more at pentera.io. Asgardio by WSO2 is a developer-focused identity and access management solution. Offered as Identity as a Service, or IDaaS, Asgardio by WSO2 creates seamless login experiences to your apps in minutes. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security podcast.